Thanks so much for joining us on our Summit Church podcast. If you are new here, we want to help connect you with God and all that He has in store for you. We hope that this inspires you, strengthens your faith, and gives you hope to live your best days now. Enjoy the message. Hey, we're going to start a series on the parables. Some of them are kind of fun to me. Others are just what Jesus said, and I'm going to preach them all. But we'll do the best I can starting today in Luke chapter 14. I'll come there in just a minute. In Luke chapter 14. And our first parable is about the great feast, the great banquet. You know, when it comes to faith, a lot of us want a formula. We want linear steps. We want straightforward answers to all of our questions. But very often, when Jesus was asked a question, he didn't respond with a straightforward answer. Often he would say, well, guys, it's like this. And then he would proceed to tell a story. And those stories are what we call the parables. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at these subversive, sometimes divisive, confusing, offensive, in some cases, next week, beautiful, eliminating, and poetic stories. All of them major in some truth Jesus is trying to get across. So we're going to look at the parables together this morning. And this morning, we're going to start by looking at a parable called the Great Banquet or the Great Supper. And in our parable today, we get a warning. A lot of us are in danger of settling, you know, settling for an average life. Well, how you doing? Okay. Well, I'm getting by. Bump along, getting okay, like kissing your sister. Oh, that was a buzz. Yeah. I love my sister, Sherry, but uh, I don't look with excitement with a kiss. Okay. I'm just saying that's what okay is to me. That's what people are. Well, I'm getting by. Well, and I'm thinking, is that what Jesus died for? He said, I came to give you life and give it to you to the full. I came to jack you up, son, turn you on, have you some excitement. Church has made Christianity boring, not very much fun at all, more routine and ceremony and a whole lot of more rules than even the Pharisees had, just rule after rule. I could see why that wouldn't be very attractive to anybody. And yet when Jesus showed up, multitudes of bad people showed up. You haven't got any bad people around you. You're not doing your job. You're not much fun to be with. But we're, we're supposed to be merchants of good news, not bad. Somebody criticized me the other day who's a right-wing fundamentalist and says, Rick, I, I, I don't go there anymore because he's too much into love. <laughs> I've been accused of a lot of things, but love too much ain't one of them, okay? Usually, well, he's too hard. Well, he's too blunt. Well, he's too... Well, I must be making progress. I mean, Jesus must be doing a little something in my life. Thank God a little bit. I'm trying to see life and people the way Jesus does. And it ain't the way a fundamentalist, uh, ultra-legalistic right-wing church does. It's, it isn't like Jesus at all. So we settle for an average life instead of a full life. We're receiving an invitation to a feast from Jesus that's supposed to be more satisfying, a lot more joy in it than our favorite meal. He's comparing good news, an invitation to his salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, uh, deliverance, uh, an adventure. That's the great feast. He's inviting us to that like a favorite meal in comparison. So our divine creator is offering us a banquet but we don't understand how good the invitation actually is. So we either ignore it or we reject it. 
So some questions for you as we begin this morning are, would you say your life is full? Would you say your life is satisfying? Have you ever wondered if your life could be more complete? That's why it's so important to pay close attention to this parable this morning, because we're being invited to a full life, abundant life, a life where those deep desires, that stuff can't scratch, that itch in us. Have you ever noticed that, <laughs> but let me rephrase that, uh, people on drugs, which I'm sure wouldn't be any of you until we look in your purse and you have a doctor's prescription to make it legal, okay. The first hit is pretty strong, they tell me. I wouldn't know. Jim, is that true? I, uh, okay. <laughs> but after that, you need a stronger hit and another hit. You know, if you've been with one person, you need to be with two or three more. That one marriage isn't satisfying. If you make $100,000, that's not enough. You got to make a million. If you make a million, that's not enough. You want to shoot for a billion. And you keep scratching, you keep scratching, and it just never quenches the thirst. And Jesus told the woman at the well, look, you've had five marriages. You're shacked up with a guy that's not your husband. Now you're still thirsty. I'm going to give you some water to drink. I'm going to give you something of substance that you won't be thirsty anymore. And I, that, I'm trying to give you the setting for what he's talking about in a feast. There's some things, stuff, which can give temporal pleasure, won't scratch. It's not bad. It just won't satisfy it's like when you get a new car, you park a block away from any other car so that they don't ding your car. You don't let the kids get in the car with a French fry or a, cray, a crayon. No, not my not new car. Boy, you, do, you guard it like it's a nuclear reactor. Six months later, you don't care if you have a dead raccoon in the back seat. You don't care if they have a whole meal and leave the French fries in it. You don't care. It was temporal pleasure, but now nah, it's just, yeah. You got a new house at the lake, woo! Six months later, a year later, insurance and maintenance and upkeep, and pretty soon you don't go there as much as you thought. You still itch. Are you getting the point of what I'm saying? It's nothing, none of that's wrong. It's just that it won't satisfy. It never does. Or every billionaire would be happy. We wouldn't have so many marriages and remarriages and remarriages if one would do it. I'm just trying to say, he's inviting us to something a whole lot better than that stuff. So we're being invited to a full life where every deep desire is provided for, a life of delight and wonder, adventure, and joy. Don't live a boring life. Don't call that Christianity. Be a Buddhist or something. Don't call it Christianity. Jesus isn't boring. He'll scare the heck out of you. He'll, he'll do things with you because nobody thought he could that will freak out everybody. He takes the least likely and makes them the most likely. It's incredible. When you, the people that actually follow him, it's a great adventure. It's like walking on the water, like, wow, look at that. So I'm invited into the kingdom of God. It is not boring. And whether you're a teenager, a senior adult, whether you're a young professional or a parent, whether you're a Christian or whether you'd say today you don't even believe in God yet, that parable we're about to talk about has the potential to illuminate some good truth for our life. There is a feast and we are invited, but the response is up to you and me. So let's jump in the parable together and we're looking at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verse 16 says, Jesus is now talking, but he said to him, 
A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant out to say to those who had been invited, come, everything's now ready. So one quick thing to point out is in the ancient world, being invited to a banquet or a feast was like, whoa, over the moon. It just never happened much. And it was a huge honor, not so much today, but in that culture. See, today we've got magical devices. We can push a button. We can go online. We can have food delivered to our house and not even go out. Or we can drive a couple of miles to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or whiskey cake and get meat and produce and carbs in that order. Okay. In the ancient world, they would have been amazed by this technology. Food to them was not a convenience. They didn't have refrigerator. They didn't have food in abundance. So for a village to be invited to a banquet or a feast was an incredible event. It was a privilege. Now look in verse 18. It says, but they all, all these people invited began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I've got to go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I've got to go examine them, but I'll watch online. P please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. So we see three straight examples of people who have been invited to this incredible privilege of a feast but they all turned down the invitation for various excuses. Now, it's kind of interesting in Jesus' story, those excuses weren't evil. They weren't absurd. They were not immoral. They were not even bad. These people were just overcrowded, overstuffed, and busy with normal everyday circumstances, just like you and me. They were busy with their circumstances. What's one of the most common phrases you hear when you ask somebody, hey, how you doing, Fred? Oh, man, I'm busy. I'm, I'm good, but life is crazy. It's hectic. You know how it is. See, you and I live in a world of volunteer commitments, PTA meetings, birthday parties, homework, soccer practice, business dinners, errands, and hobbies, and it never stops. And not only these things, but then you've got your different internet and social media accounts, your news feeds, your Amazon purchases, and we've got our precious TV shows. Game of Thrones, House of Dragons. And boy, they'll talk to Buzz about, did you see the last, what do you think that means? Where do you think that's going to go? Woo. Now, it's fair to say we got more options than any generation on the face of the earth. See, here's a good word for you today. No. Can you say it? No. What is it about no you don't understand? Jesus says there's only two words that are boundaries for your whole life. Yes and no. By the way, the one word that ain't ever mentioned, maybe. Well, that's a Christian word, but it's not a Jesus word. Jesus said yes or no. Let your yes be yes. Let your no mean no. No doesn't mean maybe, if I think about it longer. It's no. And we need to learn to say it a lot right now. Or are you going to burn out and get overcrowded and miss God? You, well, I'm so blessed and I'm so prosperous, so I'm gone all the time. Well, watch out. Be careful. It's like the example in the parable. A lot of this stuff we all face, 
It's not bad. It's not evil. They're fine. But what we learn in the parable is these people weren't even interested in the feast or this invitation because they had so much more things to do they thought were more important. So these options they had mattered more. So today we see it's not about the excuses. Jesus is trying to teach about values, priorities, our longings and desires. He's talking to us about what matters most in your life. Greg McCohen has a book called Essentialism. And Greg talks about why most of us approach values or priorities in life and how we do it. Our approach would be what he calls an undisciplined pursuit of more. We fill our schedules, our time with things that aren't bad, but we give everything in life the same priority. We say yes to everything. We don't prioritize anything. By the way, folks, everything is not the same value. Every invitation, every party, every dinner, every practice, every TV show, every football game, they're not equal. They are not. So our energy pulls us in different directions. It's spread out over everything. We're not intentional enough. We don't live purposeful lives because we try to do everything, do it all. And the alternative is what he calls the disciplined pursuit of less. Now, that approach takes into account what I value most and what I care about the most. What do I treasure? What do I want my life to be about? I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to expend my energy for the great thing and be disciplined about saying no to good things in order to pursue the best thing. It is not an evil word. No. No. Are we going to go to this? No. We've been to 14 things already this week. That's just another thing. Life won't turn on that one thing. No. Not today. It's not bad, not evil, but in my life it's full. No. And the higher you go and the more responsible you become, you'll discover that those that actually succeed in managing their life well say no more than they say yes. You're not evil. You can't answer every invitation, go to every shower, every birthday party, every graduation. It becomes insane. And when we get a big family together like this, it becomes crazy. So don't be easily offended. Just say no. Not today. Maybe, maybe later, maybe another time. But right now, no. My other priorities are more important, like my mental health, my emotional well-being. No, no. Okay, this is countercultural. You know that. This is America. Striving for less instead of more. How much you need? Oh, just a little more. I don't care who you talk to, just a little more. And Jesus actually talked about this principle when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and all this other stuff will be added to you. He's talking about values and priorities, that's all. He says, value my kingdom more than anything else and more than these other things, and everything else, this other stuff, it'll take care of itself. Now, most people tend to do it backward. They seek first all the other stuff in life, and they hope their relationship with God will fall into place, which it won't. So the first takeaway from this parable, number one, those who are full of other priorities will miss the feast. 
Those with full schedules, those who seek things equally, will miss the feast because they don't need the feast. They're already full of other things. So what do you value the most? If somebody were to look at your schedule, your calendar, what would your priorities look like? Would they even be able to tell or would it look just like one thing after another thing after another thing? What do you say yes to? What do you say no to? What do you invest in? See, those who are full of all these other priorities miss what's important. They miss Jesus. So let's go back to the parable in verse 21. Here's what he says. Then the master of the house became angry at all those excuses. And he said to his servant, okay, okay, Sparky, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, throw in a few Democrats and Republicans that will come. The people who received the initial invitation were qualified, dignified, upright, maybe went to church, maybe were just self-righteous, or maybe were just busy with abundant living and stuff and their properties and the management and the invitations. They're the winners. They're the upper crust. They got the first invitation. They were the religious Pharisees. They were the elite. They were the lawyers. They had it all together. They didn't need a feast because they weren't hungry. They weren't desperate. They didn't see any need in themselves. And these people were wealthy, educated, self-sufficient, independent, capable visionaries who were self-assured and satisfied with themselves. Now, you and I have a problem. We live in America where not all of us, but a great number of us have everything we need. Education, job, title, car, money. Not only these things, but now we have technology and convenience. There's an app for everything. I recently found out there is an app where you can hire somebody to come to your house and professionally potty train your children. Are you kidding me? I was upset we didn't have that years ago. It would have saved carpet and Cindy and I a lot of headaches. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we had diapers that looked like bed sheeps of cotton and big big pins like that. I mean, you could catch a white shark with the pins we put in those diapers back then. And every day it was laundry and dryer, laundry and dryer, putting those cotton. Didn't have plastic nappies, form-fitted, leak-proof. Didn't have any of that. <laughs> Anybody old enough to remember that? We have all we need, which is troubling when it comes to the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, it's like this. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for somebody who's wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's not saying wealthy people can't enter the kingdom of God. It's just hard because they've got so much. They don't see how needy they are spiritually. See, we tend to hold on to our treasures and our possessions and our achievements. And the key, of course, is to hold things loose. If you hold it too hard, you get problems. That's the same key to how we hold our possessions and our achievements. They're not inherently bad, but we tend to hold on to them tight. Instead, we need to learn to hold stuff loose. And remember, they're not ours. They're not the source of my joy and my fulfillment and my peace. I'm not getting that from a boat at the lake. I'm not getting that from a new jet. I don't have a jet. I'm just using an illustration. If you got one, I'd like to borrow it. 
I actually could fly it. Okay. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. I'm, none of that's bad unless it takes me away from God. So sometimes the enemy says, I'm not going to get this guy with bad. I'll just bless him so much. He's got so much junk in his life. He hasn't got time for God. That's, I'll get you either way. The devil doesn't care. See, it's hard for people with no need to enter the kingdom. They're either self-righteous, don't need anything, I'm morally good, or I've just got so much stuff and I'm so crowded and I'm overcommitted. I really, I'd love to go to church with you, Sue, but I'm just really overcrowded and busy and I've got to take the kids to soccer. Okay. You see, this goes on every day. They grip things desperately and those things become precious treasures. This is my career. I work for it. This is my money. This is my car. This is my status. This is all mine and I can't let it go. So we end up gripping this stuff desperately and of course, they collapse, they break because these treasures were not intended to be gripped or hoarded or loved. See, they're not where the feast is. They're not where the kingdom is. They leave you kind of, kind of empty. There's no lasting fulfillment. Temporal, yeah, but no lasting fulfillment. Or all the billionaires wouldn't have six marriages. Or they wouldn't buy another purchase. But why? Because they would be satisfied. But you're never satisfied. Because God made you not to be satisfied. That stuff is to be used. It has a good purpose, but it won't, it won't heal your heart. It won't heal your soul. It won't save you. And it won't scratch that itch. I mean, that one woman Jesus talked to, he said, you've had five husbands, baby. You're challenging Elizabeth Taylor. She had nine. And you shacked up with a guy that's not your husband now. Has it scratched your itch? No. He said, I'm going to give you something you can drink. Water of life. He's speaking spiritually. He says, you've come to the well because you're thirsty, but your soul is thirsty, honey. You haven't found what makes you happy. Another mate, another spouse, another car, another house, another plane, another investment. Not going to do it. Only I can scratch that itch. Only I can give you that fulfillment. So there's no lasting fulfillment with that stuff. Here's the second takeaway from this parable. Those who are full of self and status and stuff, they too will miss the feast. They've got everything they need. They're already full of their own kingdom. Is there anything in my life or yours I'm gripping so desperately or holding tightly to I won't let it go? You're just not letting it go, hoping it'll bring me my fulfillment, my joy. Now let's finish up with the rest of this parable. Here's what he says. Okay, you're not coming. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done. And still we have room. And the master said to the servant, go out in the highways now and hedges all the way to Bernie and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Not that more watch online, that my house may be filled. None of you men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now we see the invitation has been extended it's no longer the insiders, the qualified, the self-righteous, the big shots, the people who voted right, the people who are morally right like you. Now the invitation is the unqualified, the undignified, the poor, the lame, the marginalized, the outcast, the unclean, the ones who don't belong. Maybe you're listening this morning and you would say, you know, I kind of feel like I don't belong. Years ago, I was put in a Ritz-Carlton hotel in Singapore. 
Now, I grew up going to little holiday inns all of my life where the fanciest amenity was free HBO. And sometimes they'd have this machine on your bed. You could stick a quarter in it, and it would bounce you to sleep. And one of my friends in the Air Force says, and don't forget, Rick, they had mirrors on the ceiling. I'd forgotten that one. Anybody remember the old quarter in the bed deal? I mean, it it was dingy compared to the Ritz-Carlton, huh? I walked into the lobby of that hotel. It was breathtaking. It was huge, marble, beautiful flowers, beautiful greenery, beautiful paintings and statues. Everybody was immaculately dressed up. The guys were in tuxedos. Everybody was sharp. All the ladies had on look like a cocktail party dress, black, you know, short white beads. Just whoa, whoa, whoa. And they were so nice and kind. Mr. Godwin, please let me take those bags. I will escort you to your room. I got in the elevator, went up to my room. It wasn't a room. It was a suite, 1,500 square feet. That's bigger than some people have a house, 1,500 square feet. It was huge. I couldn't believe it. Everything was delightful. I went to the window and looked out, and I could see all of Singapore. It was magnificent. I looked over on my bed on the pillow. There were chocolates on my pillow. I thought, who am I, Prince William? Why, this is amazing. Nobody treats me that way in Holiday Inn. There was free soap and lotions and and shaving uh, creams and aftershave stuff. And I thought to myself, I should stick a lot of that in my bag for later. And I did. And walking around there, I thought, I'm out of my league. I don't belong here. See, those are the kind of people Jesus seemed pleased to invite to his feast. The needy, the dependent, the handicapped, the outcast, the marginalized, the broken, the people who didn't vote right, the damaged, those with doubts, those marked by fear and hunger, I'm alone, need. The people who are not acceptable to us were the ones who said yes to the invitation. So every time Jesus showed up, the publicans and sinners flocked to him. If you hadn't got anybody without Jesus that you're friends with, your Christianity sucks because Jesus was a friend of sinners. He did not condone sin, but he was friendly to them. Can't believe how he treated me nice. I can't believe how friendly he was because those people know they're not insiders. So the the thought of the day was, exclusive. If you're white and you're Republican, you're welcome. And whatever, you agree with me on all issues, social issues. And I thought, that's not what Jesus did. Where'd you invent that? Uh, He took the people you don't want to even be with. They They were looked down on, frowned apart, but they knew they were bad. They knew they were sinners. They knew they had need. They knew they couldn't fix themselves. And they answered that call to come to Jesus, the feast, him, the bread of life. They, shoot, yeah. I can't beat that deal. That's like a drum with a hole in it. You just can't beat it. That's good news. Well, that's what Jesus preached, good news. You get in the average church now, and they got a list of laws. They've got more laws than Jesus gave humanity. And I thought, that's not Christianity. Christianity to everybody was, hey, I paid your bill. I paid your debt. You cannot perform your way. You can't be righteous enough. You can't be moral enough. You can't even be immoral enough. I paid your debt. 
And one of my mentors told me years ago, I just remembered it last service. He said, Ricky, on your best day, Jesus said, I'll have to die for that. All your good works are as filthy rags to me. That's good, isn't it, to remember that? On your best day, Jesus said, I got to die for that. Wow. So at the banquet, at the feast, they're the only ones there. Heaven's going to have more bad people in it than the good people. At least they thought they were. They're going to have people there you don't like that you thought have no, should don't deserve to be there. Next week, I'm talking about the prodigal son, and it should be plural because the self-righteous boy was as lost as the wild child. None of them were fit for the kingdom. And people self-righteous don't get it. Well, I, 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 listen, I, I haven't had an affair, hadn't been drunk. I don't do drugs. I pay my tithe. I deserve this. I deserve that. God, you need to come to my beck and call because I don't, I don't, I don't. See, you don't think you have any need. You think God owes you for performance. Get rid of your clipboard. Jesus, we sing the song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He did. He paid the whole debt. I can't pay one dime of my redemption. There's not one day I deserve it, nor you. And yet Jesus says, if you want to come and eat, come on. Come to my feast. Come into my kingdom. I want you. Ollie, ollie in free. Remember we used to do that as kids? Hide and go see. Ollie, ollie in free meant I could run in and be exposed and not get tagged. Some of you never even played hide and go seek. Okay. <laughs> and these are the bad people, and they're the only ones that come. So if you feel like you don't belong, that you don't have it all together, that your life is pretty much a mess, and you're hungry and needy, this is good news. Here's our third and last takeaway from this parable. It is only the empty who can experience the fullness of this feast. The empty, those who are aware of their own need. See, I tell people, look, I'm one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. I'm no different than you. Need, need God, I need you, I need you. I don't care how successful you are, how wealthy you are, how good of an investor you are in the stock market or anything else. You are a needy person without God. You are a desperate, broken, poor, poverty-ridden person spiritually. Never turn down an invitation to God's feast. When they got invited, these people said immediately, yes, the bad people, the ones that shouldn't be there. I've often said Summit is a hospital for the sick, not a hotel for saints. See, are you aware of your deep need for God and his kingdom? Are you hungry? Are you desperate for his feast? Are you content on your own self-sufficient where all your needs are covered. At least you think so. See, it's the needy and the hungry who know who they really are, who accept God's invitation. And by the way, you don't have an entrance fee. You don't have a, uh, what do you call it? When you go to a club, uh, you pay something. Yeah. I know. I just want to know how many of you went to the club. Okay. I just, yeah. okay actually, I forgot. Uh, and, but you, you pay that fee. Well, at, at God's feast, there's nothing to pay. It's free. It's on the house. He's already paid the debt. You couldn't pay it if you wanted to. So he, he says, I want you to come. No charge. Everybody can come in. Ollie, ollie in free. All everybody. No exclusion. Inclusive. Anybody can come. So the publicans, the outcasts, the extortionists, uh, the prostitutes, the pimps, everybody came. So hopefully by now, 
Maybe you've thought when I was speaking your favorite meal or some of your favorite meals. I've been thinking about what makes a meal special. Well, I've thought of a few different reasons. Maybe you got some. First reason is it's a non-negotiable. The food tastes good. It ain't going to be a great meal if it doesn't taste good. It leaves you content and satisfied. Oh, man, was that good. When's the last time you said that? Huh? The second reason would be the company you're surrounded with at a great meal. When I thought of my favorite meals, they usually always include my wife, my family, or my best friends. Great company. The third thing would be some kind of an experience, some kind of a moment, like maybe an adventure or a different location that would be unusual and different. So what makes your favorite meal so special is exactly what makes the kingdom of God so special. The kingdom of God, just like your favorite meal, is fulfilling. It's satisfying. It tastes good. The Bible says, taste and see the Lord is good. Jesus himself said, I've come that you might have life to the full, not get by. This is what the feast is. It's an invitation to live a full life with God. Just like your favorite meals, the kingdom of God has great company in it as well. I'm closer to my blood-bought brothers in Jesus than any blood relative I have. Great company. One way to think about the kingdom of God is the with God life. The invitation to the feast is an invite to spend life moment by moment with God. This is what the feast is. God wants you to sit with him. He wants to sit with you, to be with you every moment of every day. <laughs> okay. This morning at six o'clock, pitch dark, my phone went off because my critter cam took a picture of another armadillo tearing up my yard. I quickly ran to the bathroom where Cindy was getting dressed for church and said, throw something on or come naked. We got an armadillo. <laughs> She grabbed the light, threw something over her. We went, I took the rifle, went charging out, and there it was in all of its glory. And I sent him to his eternal reward right there. But here's what's funny. Six o'clock, her half-dressed, me in a pair of shorts and a rifle, and it pitched dark. And I'm saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I got him. I got him. Again, that's the fifth one, the fifth one. They don't go to Bob Yarrington's yard. I don't know why. They don't cross the road. They come to my yard, and I've never been infiltrated like but it's kind of funny, but I'm talking to God all the time. He's always with me and around me. In fact, he whispered to me, good shot. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. But I'm saying, I understand the kingdom of God. The president is always around me. He's always with me in bad and good whatever. He's there. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's always there. Then the kingdom of God is like your favorite meal. It's kind of out of the ordinary. It's an adventure. When is the last time you did something for the first time? God won't leave you where you are. Even if you reach out to him, if you'll do what he says, he'll take you on a trip you never imagined. It'll be wild. It'll get you out of your comfort zone. It'll put you to the expectation of a miracle. You'll end up doing what you never thought you ever would do. It, it, I never dreamed sitting at a table in a business luncheon accepting Jesus and this invitation to the feast that I would ever end up here. This wasn't what I had planned for my life, but for my life journey, I had no idea what a ride it would be. Who knows what God could do with your life if you ever surrendered to him and said, okay, where you lead me, I will follow. What you feed me, I will swallow. 
I'll do what you said. He won't lead you to a boring, crummy, dry, stale, sterile, uh, unfulfilling life. Get out of your comfort zone and do something. Start a business. Uh, Do something you haven't done. Go somewhere you haven't been. Take a risk. Life is supposed to be exciting. He said, I'm going to give you life to the full. I'm going to perm your straight hair. Yeah. Well, now we just come to church. We sit, we soak, we sour. Praise the Lord. If that's it, dude, you you stink. What is wrong with you? What is wrong? God did not call you, save you, give you this incredible feast for you to live a boring life. That is not God's plan for you. See, ordinary is not an adventure. If we're to open up our life, God wants to lead us into some new, bold experiences. That's what the feast is. Many of us have this notion that the feast and the kingdom of God will only take place after we die. Now, of course, we look forward to a feast on that day. We hope in that eternal feast. But that's not the only thing the kingdom of Jesus is about. He says the kingdom is within you if you're a believer. He's among you. Dr. Dallas Willard says it's like this. In and through the person of Jesus himself, the government or kingdom of God from the heavens was now available to everybody. It's available to everybody. I'm living in the kingdom of God right now. I have to wait for heaven. We've seen right now, right where we are around our bodies, hovering beside our heads, in him we live and move and have our being. I was in an airplane sitting at the end of a runway at midnight, Cindy, big pregnant, sitting in the back of the plane. Uh, I I got my instrument clearance, IFR. I I wrote it down, read it back. Okay, good to go. Radioed the tower, 817 Mike Alpha, uh, ready to go. You cleared for takeoff, fly runway, heading, climb and maintain 3,000 feet, contact departure on 121.9. That's 40 years ago. I I still get it in my head, all right? And I'm thinking... I just prayed. Here, the kingdom of God, it's all around me as a believer. There's a lot I didn't know, but there was some that I did know. And I says, Lord, thank you for a safe flight tonight. Instantly, instantly, across my eyes, my head went rudder lock, rudder lock. Something I'd put on that airplane that keeps the vertical, the, the, the straight up, I'm trying to show folks, the vertical stabilizer is the tail that sticks up. It's real big on this Cessna 421 Golden Eagle and thunderstorms and winds can, can break it, can, can bend it or warp it. So they gave me a lock so it wouldn't move. <laughs> well, it wasn't on my checklist. And that night when I got in the plane, I forgot I put the rudder lock back there. So I'm 40 seconds from killing all of us. And to touching the throttles, I don't have to wait for heaven for the Lord to be there. His presence was there. And he says, I can give you knowledge, but I can't fix stupid. So I'm going to intervene in your life because you have a purpose, you have a future, and so do you. And God says, rudder lock. And what I didn't even believe in, a word of knowledge, boom, comes right there to save my stupid self. And I tell you, I'm a white guy, but I look like the Pillsbury Doughboy when that rudder lock went away and I realized the severity of what was about to happen. So I shut the engines down, radioed the towers, midnight, nobody was out. And he said, I said, I've got to fix something. And I did fix it. And I never forgot that moment the rest of my life. You can be dumb. God can fix that. You know, he can, he can fix it with some knowledge. 
but it was amazing. The Spirit of God was right there with me all the time, even though I, didn't, I would have denied the, the words of knowledge or gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it was working in me right there. I was counseling somebody, and I had this thought, boom. It was so smart, and I thought to myself, where did that come from? That was, that was better than Dr. Phil. That was a word of wisdom. See, I, the Spirit of God didn't care how limited my knowledge was. He just overruled it and spoke through me anyway. I wouldn't have said that, but I realized I was wrong on some of those thoughts I had. And God still was with me and around me, and he's with you. And around, you could be vacuuming, changing the diaper. Talk to God. Talk. The kingdom of God is there. If you're a believer, he's all around you. He's here. He, you, don't have to get, you don't have to wait for special music and Nate to try to get us cranked up. You can just talk right where you're in your car, going to work, but on your iPad or your computer or whatever. You can talk to God between phone calls or something. He's, he cares about you, everything about you. He's, it's there. It's not something I'm waiting to achieve in eternity. See, I'm not waiting for eternity to happen. I'm walking in eternity right now. The only thing that's not eternal about me is my body. I kind of wish it had a touch of it, but it's decaying, but not my soul, not my spirit. They're eternal. There will never be a day I won't be, just the body. And it'll be nice to get a resurrection body because there'll be no diet. The girls will be saying, I'll be looking fine. Men won't have a beer gut, won't have to lose weight, won't have arthritis, won't have all these problems. Won't it be any more calls with drama and marriage problems and, and issues and health and legal matters? Won't be any more. Not anymore. One day. But right now, I'm walking in eternal life. Right now, as a believer. And if you're a believer, so are you. So time runs its course within eternity. And here's the deal. The invitation to the feast is around us every day, every hour, each moment. But you have to respond to it. We have to surrender our kingdom and surrender our agenda and our will to God to release our grip on what I hold tightly. Surrender has a negative connotation. I'm giving up my fun. I'm giving up my joy. I'm giving up what I want because I have to. But what you see in the parable is we're not surrendering out of fear or obligation. We're surrendering the experience to experience the feast, the God life. We're hungry for the fullness of joy and peace that God happens to be offering. Surrendering is about trusting God for my every need. I was speaking years ago in Durban, South Africa, and the local church bought a bakery in order to bake bread to hand out to a poor community. And the community was called the Valley of a Thousand Hills. It's beautiful, breathtaking valley. But the locals called it the Valley of a Thousand Tears because it's one of the epicenters of the HIV AIDS epidemic. And many of the villages and communities have up to 40% of their population infected with the virus. And as we went with the church and we passed out loaves of bread, I witnessed a level of physical need I'd never, ever experienced before. And most of these people could not work. They couldn't provide for themselves anything. Many couldn't leave their huts. They were so inflicted with the virus. But I'll never forget how brave and lovely these people were. They were also full of humility. They were aware of their deep need. I'll never forget it. And as we would hand out loaves of bread, these people would simply open their hands, extend their arms, and receive the gift. There was one community where as soon as we pulled up in the bus, where the kids came from all over the village, ran to us smiling to the bus, open hands, extended arms to receive the gift. And that's kind of how you approach the kingdom of God. 
When you're hungry and when you're aware of your needs, you don't act prideful. You don't act entitled. You simply open your hands and receive. See, do we want a full life? Am I aware of my deep need and hunger? Am I tired of trying to fill myself with stuff and things? Are you trying to hold on to stuff so desperately, gripping your achievement, your status, your possessions, your own kingdom, that you miss the feast? See, all we have to do, how do you come to God? Open my hands, stretch out my arms, and surrender. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian. You can do this right now for the first time. Maybe you want to surrender your life to him. Even for those of us who call ourselves Christians, it's not a one-time surrender. I'm saved once for all. But it's a moment-by-moment surrender to God, to his purpose, and to his will. Every day. Jesus is the bread of life. He wants to invite us to his feast with a God life moment by moment. Imagine what would happen if we started tomorrow and we opened our hands and we said to God every morning, what are you inviting me to today? When we're stuck in traffic, what if we opened our hands and said, God, what are you inviting me to? I'm open. Are you teaching me patience or how to eliminate hurry from my life? When we deal with difficult people, What if we opened our hands and said, oh, Lord, God, what are you inviting me to right now? Maybe you're teaching me to be a model of love right in the middle of life. See, what if we opened our hands and said, I'm open to your calling on my life, to any adventure or any risk you may have for me. In the middle of heartbreak, fear, and anxiety, imagine if we just spiritually opened our hands, extended arms, and said, Father, I'm hungry. I'm needy. Would you fill me? See, there's a great feast we're all invited to. But how I respond, that's up to me. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting summitsa.com.